The text for this morning is from Galatians 5, verse 22. And then we take the third word of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is peace. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 34, stanza 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, let me begin by asking you a question. And that question is this, how peaceful are things in your life right now? Was there peace in your home this morning as you got ready for church? Do you have peace with your family members, with your son or your daughter or your wife or husband or your parents or friends? Or is your life full of conflict? And what about peace of mind? Do you have peace of mind? Are you at peace with yourself? And if you are, what does that mean? How do you define peace? A little over a month, we will be celebrating Christmas. It's about the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace on earth. That's also what Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, said about him in Luke 1, verse 79, namely that his son John would prepare the way of him who will guide our feet into the way of peace. But what kind of peace did that Prince of Peace come to bring? The world defines peace as absence of conflict. We live in a sinful world. Conflict is part of our lives. And so you might say that peace is that brief, glorious moment when everybody is standing around reloading. Is that what peace is all about? Is it the lull between fighting? Or is it something else? And that's what we will deal with this morning. Paul tells us that the third part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so peace is a gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift of God. God hands it to you. And as with any gift, you can either accept that gift or you can reject it. When we started this worship service this morning, God's peace was proclaimed upon you with the words of greeting from God our Father, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And at the end of the worship service, you will receive God's blessing, namely that he turn his face towards you and gives you peace. Do you want his peace? Well, that's one thing that we want in our lives, isn't it? But you cannot just have any kind of peace because only God's peace will do, for only his peace is true peace. The theme for this morning's worship service is as follows. Taste the good fruit of peace given to you by the Holy Spirit. We will see three things. First of all, the peace of God. Secondly, peace with God. And then finally, peace on earth. God is known as the God of peace because he is without sin. There is no contradiction in him. He does not say one thing and then do another. He is absolutely constant in everything that he does. There is no deviation in him. And that's also the way it is with regard to his covenant relationship with us as his people. He is our faithful covenant partner. 
How come then that there is so little peace here on earth? Well, lack of peace, that is conflict, turmoil, pain, and suffering, come about because of sin. And sin comes about because we do not keep the rules of the covenant. There is no peace because we broke the covenant. And that's what happened in paradise when Adam and Eve sinned. They no longer obeyed the rules. And then, now only God can restore the peace that man has broken. So, and that is what Paul came with when he went to the Galatians to preach to them. He came to them with the gospel of peace, with the peace that only God can establish. He told them about God's faithfulness and truth through the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them how he fulfilled the law for them and how they now must also put their faith in him. He told them that salvation is through grace alone. Although you have to do your utmost to keep the law, you cannot save yourself by keeping the law. You can only be saved if you believe in God and in his mercy. Now, brothers and sisters, do you know how liberating a message that is for those people? And indeed for anybody in the world, if they truly appropriate that, most of us grew up in the Christian faith. And we have been brought up to believe that we cannot appease God by keeping all the rules that he has established, that it is impossible. But that is what all other religions do teach you. And those Galatian people, they grew up being afraid, being afraid of those gods in the skies, because they knew that they were not able to keep them happy. And don't think that this is different from today. Of course, we don't have funny gods that we worship anymore. But there are other ways that we do worship. Man is a creature to worship. Let's think also, for example, about the Muslims all over this world. They believe that Allah is a God who needs to be appeased by doing seven prayers each day. And by facing the right way when you do pray. And by keeping the many rules and the regulations that they themselves have devised. And if you read about how a Muslim lives, then you will see that it is a horrible existence. They lead very repressive lives. Now the gospel of peace sets you free from all this. Now at first, those Galatians were full of enthusiasm about that gospel of peace. And that is why Paul says to them in chapter 5, verse 7, You are running a good race. But in the same breath, he says something else. He asks, Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? In other words, something happened in the meantime. What happened? Well, they listened to the party of the circumcision, the so-called Judaizers. And they taught that you were saved by keeping the law. And then Paul says in verse 3 that if that is what you believe, then you are obligated to keep the whole law. But that's impossible. And therefore he adds in verse 10 of chapter 3, 
all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And so those Judaizers, they did not cover the message of peace. On the contrary. But that's not the only group that Paul is addressing in this letter. There's also another group. And they went to the other extreme. To those people, the law has been fulfilled, and so it has no longer any significance. They appeal to the fact that they are saved through grace alone. And they said to themselves, we do not have to worry about sin so much anymore. Christ died for our sins, didn't he? And did Paul and the other apostles not teach us that through faith we belong to him? We've got it made. You see, they go for a cheap grace. There's a lot of evangelical churches that go for that too. They won't read the law anymore. They don't want to talk about your sin and misery. We are done with that. You see, they emphasize the freedom which they have in Christ because of the forgiveness of sins. And their hymns and their talk all emphasize that. They say that really you don't have to fight against your sins. Christ has done it all for us, so we should not have to worry too much. But that's not what the Bible teaches us, is it? Of course not. Paul warns in chapter 5 verse 13 not to use their freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. For then you are not free at all because then once again you are a slave to sin, slaves to the devil. And when you are a slave to the devil, then you are as far removed from freedom as you could ever be. Also then, there is no peace in your life. On the contrary, then your life is full of discord and turmoil. For then you are in the grip of Satan once again. Then you are not acting in accordance with your old nature. And then you too, just like the Judaizers, stand condemned. For that reason, Paul gives them the same warning as he did to the Ephesians as well. He said to them in Ephesians 4 verse 22, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That is what every believer must do if he belongs to Christ. Now, what is that old nature that we have to put off? Just Prior to our text, Paul says what that is. He describes what that life is like. He says, he says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the qualities man has outside of God. And there is nothing peaceful about those qualities. Indeed, they are all opposed to a peaceful existence. And so now let's look at ourselves. Do we also experience the desires of the flesh? Does our old nature also want to assert itself? Well, we too are often a people that are odds with each other. And we see often these qualities also in ourselves and in others. Just look at little children. If you want to learn anything about yourself, then 
just look at a child sometime and then you will see yourself. Children have not learned to mask their true feelings as we as adults have. What you see is what you get. And you see jealousy. If you give a new toy to one child, then you better not forget the other. Or else you have a sulking child on your hand. The child will not hide his feelings. And he or she will let you know how he feels in no uncertain terms. At the same time, you see enmity. Children are constantly in competition with each other. They look out for themselves first at the expense of their siblings. Children are by nature selfish. And as parents, we have to teach them not to be selfish. Children make sure that they get the biggest or the best first. It is the constant struggle for parents to teach children not to be at odds with each other and to live at peace with others. As adults, we are not much different. We also tend to look out for ourselves first, don't we? Never mind the other guy, me first. And so by nature, we are not a peaceful people. And how did that come about? It wasn't always like that. Before the fall into sin, there was absolute peace. When you read through the first chapters of Genesis, you're immediately struck by the peaceful conditions which existed at that time. You see there, man at peace with God, with nature and himself. There is no conflict. Adam and Eve are at peace. And so what happened to change all that? Well, sin came into the world. Adam and Eve and we with them deliberately rebelled against God. And when that happened, our whole nature changed. Man, being good, now became evil. Man set himself up as the adversary of God, and there is no longer any harmony between man and man, and between man and God. Eve tempts Adam, and Adam blames Eve. And now they're at odds with each other. And so you see that man himself broke the peace. Now instead of harmony, there is disharmony, hostility. Man abused the independence and freedom that God gave him and sought happiness, peace, and harmony on its own terms. And the problem is what was true before the fall is also true after the fall. And there is no peace outside of God. And God reveals himself as the God of peace. Only through him can you find peace and harmony. But man who is dominated by his old nature does not want anything to do with God. He wants to seek peace and happiness outside of God. How then does God break through that old nature of ours? And that brings us to our second point. Well, God says to man... I do not want you to live in enmity with each other any longer. I want you to be at peace with me. And that is why I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a covenant of peace with you. For that is what he calls his covenant in various places in scripture. Through the establishment of his covenant, in spite of man's breaking, the bond of peace with his creator, the Lord God, wants to restore man so that he will live in a peaceful relation with him. He reestablishes his covenant with man. But he says, if you want to truly live in peace with me and your fellow man, then you have to hate sin. 
But do you know what sin does? Sin breaks down my covenant. If you do not want to deal with sin in your own life, then you will never live in peace. For you cannot find peace in life if you do not want to deal with sin. And no one can have any true understanding of sin unless he realizes all that all wrongdoing is sin against God. If we put ourselves, our own interests and desires before that of another person, then we sin against God. If we put ourselves first, then we place God and others on the back burner. For then we follow our own spirit rather than the spirit of God. Then we are like those false prophets Ezekiel spoke against in chapter 13, which we read together. He says to them in verse 3, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And then he says further in verse 9 and 10, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and other lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel, nor will they land, nor will they enter the land of Israel. And then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. <coughs> Throughout the Old Testament, the word for peace, shalom, is very closely connected with the word salvation. We can see that also in the psalm which we sang together earlier in Psalm 85, stanza 3. The Lord will proclaim his steadfast words of peace from change of bondage. He will grant release for surely his salvation is at hand. Salvation is deliverance from sin. And that is what the Lord promises in his covenant of peace with us. But we all know that there are two sides of that covenant of peace. As covenant children, we must also flee from sin. You have to hate it and detest it and do everything to eradicate it from our lives. And that is why the psalmist also adds, prepared for those who honor his command. God's peace is only for those who honor God's covenant responsibilities, who take them seriously. And those false prophets were not willing to do so. They wanted peace without dealing with sin. They ignored the sins of the people. They wanted to deliver themselves from their enemies. They wanted to rely on their own strength. And so they put up a wall to keep out the enemy. And the same thing they did with sin. They also put a wall around themselves. And fooled themselves into thinking that they did not need the Lord their God from their deliverance from sin. They wanted to keep God out. And they refused to be convinced of the strength of their enemy. And they refused to listen to the voice of God. And therefore they did not speak out about the many ways in which they sought their own interests rather than God's honor and glory. They ignored their own sin and the sin of the people. And therefore they did not interpret the dark political scene during the exile in terms of the judgments of God and the apostasy of the people. And that is why in chapter 34, Ezekiel tells them about the real salvation from God. 
And then in Ezekiel 34, it's a beautiful chapter that speaks about the coming shepherd. He will bring peace. In him that covenant of peace will find its fulfillment. And when Christ is born, Zechariah sings of the peace that will come with that good shepherd. He prophesies of the coming Christ that he will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The prophet Isaiah also prophesies his coming. He says in Isaiah 9 verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why is he called Prince of Peace? For no other reason than that he dealt with sin in the most radical way. Sin was nailed on the cross with him. And that is God's gift to those who believe in him. He gives his son the Prince of Peace. But what then does the Lord our God expect from us? Well, he says, I've done it all for you. I've brought you peace. I've brought you my son. But if you accept that gift, then you will also show that you have accepted it in your life. It cannot be otherwise. How does that show? It shows in the way that you deal with sin. You hate it and you struggle with it all the days of your life. And you also help others with their sin. And now you understand why Paul uses such strong language in his letter. To an unbeliever, it would seem that Paul is anything but a peaceful man. He says about his opponents that he wishes they would emasculate, mutilate themselves. And he berates the Galatians in no uncertain terms. He chides them for allowing the word of God to be perverted. He even calls them names. He uses very strong language. He says in Galatians 3 verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, does Paul sound like man of peace here? Oh yes, congregation, Paul loves peace. How can I be so sure? Well, because it is clear that Paul hates sin. That he wants nothing to do with sin. For sin breaks the bond with God. He wants nothing to do with the evil desires of the flesh. And that is clear from all the letters that he has written. And that is why he also realizes how much he needs God, how much he needs the Holy Spirit, how much he needs to be redeemed from his sins. But listen to what he says further in chapter 3, verse 2 and following. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Do you notice that Paul does not expect them to be able to go overcome their sins by themselves in their own law, in their own? No, Paul speaks here about being supplied by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks about the gift of faith in that connection. He tells them that they cannot depend on the works of the law. 
Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you accept that gift from God, then you will also accept the fruit of that gift, including the fruit of peace. Remember, brothers and sisters, God has made you part of that covenant of peace. He has given you that sign and the seal of that covenant on your foreheads. Now Paul says, show that you are covenant children. Deal with sin in your life. Be a peacemaker. We come to the third point. How do you do that? How do you bring peace on earth? Well, first of all, you do that by allowing the peace of God to come over you. You accept this message of peace in your life. You acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner. And that you are in need of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. You realize that you desperately need the forgiveness of sins. And you accept all God's benefits. A person who accepts the gift of the fruit of peace is someone who is not afraid to take a look at himself. He doesn't mind criticism. For he wants to know how he has wronged God and his neighbor and how he can become a better person. He hates the sin that clings to him. And time and again he comes to the same conclusion as Paul did about himself. As he says in Romans 7, What a wretched man I am! Paul knows the great battle that he has in his own life. And then he asks himself time and again, Who will rescue me from this body of death? For he truly hates his old nature of jealousy and of strife. He knows that nothing good dwells in his flesh. And he actively and consciously flees from sin in his own life. He doesn't just say to himself, How glad I am that I have the forgiveness of sins. Or how glad I am that I belong to the true church. For if that is where you leave it, if that is all there is to it, then you are still in your sins. Then you are still fooling yourself, for there is more. Indeed it is true, and we must be fully convinced of that, that Christ has delivered us from this body of death, that we are part of the covenant of peace. But it doesn't just mean that now we can just lie back and soak it all up like a sponge soaks up water. No, the Lord God puts you to work every day. You actively have to seek the peace of God. And that means that you actively fight against sin and the devil. And that means, first of all, that you must take a close look at yourself. Is there a lack of peace right now in your life? Do you have all kinds of conflicts in your life with people? Well, if you want to have peace, then you better start by looking at yourself. What part are you of the problem? Because we are all part of the problem. We're all sinful people. In one way or the other, we contribute to conflict. And that is why we always have to look at ourselves first. You cannot skip that process. There are a lot of people who will just come and accuse right away. They will accuse others of this and that. 
And it may be true, but it is very obvious they haven't looked at themselves first. They don't see their own sins first. There is no humility in their approach. And people like that are full of conflict. They don't listen first to the truth. They shoot off their mouth and cause turmoil. Habits in families, habits in the church, and it is devastating. Do you want peace? Look first at yourself. And then you can also help others in humility. You don't do that by being a pharisaical zealot. No, the Pharisees did not bring peace on earth by their zealous and aggressive methods. They were gentle. Only those, they were not gentle. And they brought discord. How do you bring peace? How can this congregation here be a peaceful congregation? Not by encouraging Phariseeism. It is only through humility and gentleness. James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's not our nature, is it? We are much more inclined to speak out against others, tell them how wrong they are. We feel like speaking our minds, telling it like it is. And we do that because often we are such poor listeners. And we quickly come with our own judgments. But before we speak out, we must ask ourselves whether or not we do it for the sake of true peace with God or whether we want to fulfill our own needs by doing this. Do we do it because we are personally irritated by other people's behavior or because we are offended or because we are concerned that God is offended? Think about that the next time you show your disapproval of others. What are my motivations? A peacemaker does not speak out too quickly. He doesn't always speak right away what's on his mind. And he listens to another side of, the sto- of a story first before he shoots off his mouth. On the other hand, when he is truly concerned about sin, that he does not keep his mouth shut either. A lot of people think that a peacemaker is someone who avoids trouble at all costs. He talks along with other people, pats everybody on the back. But that's not the picture you get as you study the scriptures either, is it? And if that were true, Paul would not be known as a peaceful man either. For Paul certainly does speak out, doesn't he? He exposes sin. He exposes wrong lifestyles. For remember that peace can never be found by ignoring sin. And yet there are those among us who do not dare to speak out when things are wrong because they don't want to cause trouble. They don't want to do that in their own families, with their own children. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm not going to say anything. They'll only be mad at me. Well, you have to know when to speak and when not to speak. And that's always a judgment you have to make. But remember that if you want to be a true peacemaker that you have to also sometimes call a spade a spade and deal with the truth. You have to teach others to be honest with themselves. And you can only do that if you yourself are honest with yourself. The Lord teaches us to be watchful. The Apostle John records the words of the Lord Jesus in chapter 14, verse 27, when Christ says just before his death, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And he says further that the ruler of this world is coming, but that he has no power over him. Indeed, brothers and sisters, Satan has no power over Christ. He defeats the evil one, and he has done so for us. And that is why he can leave us his peace. Satan has no dominion over him, and therefore Satan has no dominion over you and me either. You do not have to be afraid either. Peace indeed is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as a fruit must continue to grow on the tree before it can be harvested, before it can be harvested, so it is with the fruit of peace. In this life we only have a small beginning of the obedience that God requires from us. But there must be that constant growth in your life. That is to say, you must constantly be on guard against sin. And again, you have to look at yourself. Is there turmoil in my life? Am I angry with others? What is my part in it? And then you can also humbly walk with your brother or sister. You constantly have to deal with sin. God is the God of reconciliation. He reconciles us to himself and to each other. Listen to what Paul said to the Colossians as to how he has brought that about. He says in Colossians 1 verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so let me ask you once again, brothers and sisters, is there peace in your life? Well, then one thing you must be able to do as well is to be able to forgive others their sins. Is there peace in your household with your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you at peace with them? Or do you have a hard time forgiving other people? Do you keep bringing up the same sins? Happens. I hear it all the time. So and so, do you know what he did? Ten years ago, five years ago, last month, And they keep bringing it up and it lives in them. Think about your Lord and Savior, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, who brought peace to the world through the blood of the cross. And he did that by completely denying himself. Christ was the most unselfish man who ever lived. And he did not insist on his rights as God, but he humbled himself for us. So that we may share in the peace of the cross. When he was reviled, he did not retaliate. When he was threatened, he did not threaten back, but committed all men to the righteous judgment of God. His aim was always to win others over, rather than turning them away. And that is the true quest of peace. And so we too, as bearers of the fruit of peace, must deny ourselves and put off our old nature with its fleshly desires and seek the promotion of God's kingdom. That kingdom of peace. Well, brothers and sisters, Christ is coming again. And he will judge us. And he will look at us to see if we are truly fruit bearers. He will look at us and see whether the fruit of peace is present in our lives. For a tree, as he says, is known by its fruit.
And so what will Christ say about you when he comes again? Will he see the fruit of the Spirit in you? The fruit of peace? Or does he see the fruit of bitterness? The gospel of peace, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 6, has been proclaimed again again to you this morning. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in this. Allow yourselves to be led by that Spirit. Amen.